it's easier building the future when you're starting from scratch. It really, (laughs) in anything that you do, developing something on a whiteboard is a lot easier than refitting the Titanic when it's at sea. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. Uh, I am Megan Henry, and I co-hosting with me today is Oliver Brooks. How are you today, Oliver? Good, good. Good morning. So I'm super excited about today's episode. We have on Rick McCathron, who is Chief of Insurance at Hippo Insurance Company, which for those of you who don't know, is an insurtech startup that's been operating about four or five years um, and really is doing innovative things in the insurance market. So it's a super interesting conversation, and I hope you enjoy. And of course, as always, if you like what you hear, like and subscribe below. Hi, Rick. Uh, so happy to have you today on The Defense Never Rests. Um, I, I've been so excited to have you on because I have been watching the rise of InsureTech for the past few years with a lot of interest. So I'm really happy to pick your brain today about, about Hippo and InsureTech and how it's changing the insurance industry. But before we get into all that, I kind of want to get to know you a little bit. Um, so where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Well, it's interesting. Uh, so I grew up in Southern California um, in an insurance agency family. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, oftentimes people don't ask, you know, how'd you fall into insurance? I actually was bred into insurance. So I, I knew I would always do this. I spent the last 20 years in Austin, Texas, uh, which is where Hippo's insurance operations is headquartered. Okay. So you got into the insurance industry because your family was in it. It Was there there pressure from your parents or was it just that you saw that this was a a good way to, a good living to make or an interesting living to to explore? Like how did you end up there? Yeah, no, it's really, it's really good. I, I figured out relatively early on in life that nothing happens without insurance. Look around. You, you can't you can't own a house without insurance. You can't drive a car without insurance. You can't build a building. You can't hire employees. There's really nothing in our economy that functions without the backstop of insurance protecting against loss. So I, that was interesting to me, it, all the different facets of it. Now, my family was a little unique. It was a blended family. I was the Bobby Brady. I was the youngest. <laughs> so I recognized that Bobby would probably never manage the agency. So I decided to college and get out of the insurance agency family business and get into the carrier side of, of underwriting and operations. And, and that's interesting because, I mean, I mean, obviously Oliver and I are pretty familiar with the insurance industry on, you know, on the legal side, but a lot of people aren't familiar with the difference between agency versus carrier and how, how that operates differently on like on, on a business level. Do you mind explaining that a little bit, how it differs? Yeah, sure. So agency generally represents the distribution channel of insurance. So they're the ones that go out and procure the customers. They provide uh, quotes for the customers, typically scouring the market to find multiple options. And then in collaboration with what the customer needs, they figure out which option is best. Once they figure out which option is best, they submit the policy to the carrier. And the carrier is the one that handles all the nuts and bolts and processing of the insurance transaction. They handle claims in the event that there's a claim. Um, They're the ones that typically backstop the risk. So they're the ones whose checkbook usually is used to pay the claims, but they're the ones that handle the actual business of insurance where the agency is really procuring the customer. 
And, and I mean, when you grew up in on understanding the agency side and then you go into the carrier side, you know, what, what was your preference at that point? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I always liked the business of underwriting. I always thought it was interesting to determine which, which policies make sense to, um, to, to write and what the price should be for those policies. So um, at my core, I'm somewhat of a math geek, so I enjoyed that aspect. And I'll tell you, this may date me a little bit, but back when I started in the insurance industry, there were no computers to rate policies. It was manual calculations. It was, this factor is additive, this factor is multiplicative. So it was much more of an analytical um, company back then or analytical industry back then. Um, now it has made full circle and the analytics today have of course, to machine learning and computer AI and everything else. But back then it was old school math. Yeah, I, I'm a, also, I join you in being a math geek. I'm a very, one of the very few lawyers who enjoy math quite a bit and enjoyed the logic games portion of the LSATs. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's like a big uh, game. You know, <laughs> stick me in a quiet room with a spreadsheet and I'm a happy man. Yes. So let's talk InsureTech because... Sure. I, I think I was, when I was talking to Oliver, uh, and Oliver, you have to pardon me for saying this, but he's like, what is InsurTech? I don't understand. And so a lot of people aren't familiar, and f- familiar with it. I've been watching it, so I'm familiar with it. But for those who have no idea what InsurTech is and how it's different from traditional insur- like an insurance company, can you just touch on that a little bit for us? Yeah, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a derivative of fintech, so financial technology. Yeah. It sort of um, transitioned the banking and financial industry you know, maybe a decade or so ago, and then, of course, continues to, to provide um, modern enhancements to the financial world. InsureTech is the marriage of technology and insurance. Now, one of the challenges for a guy that's been you know, in the insurance business post-college for almost 30 years is that uh, most InsureTechs tend to forget that it is a marriage between insurance and technology. They tend to focus on the technology piece. Now, the technology piece is very important, and that's where most of the modern innovations come from. So user experience, um, use of data, use of IoT devices to help mitigate and protect against risk, ongoing underwriting, satellite imagery, telematics, and car insurance. That's where all the tech piece has really um, sort of reshaped the industry. That said, there is a massive component of insurance, traditional insurance, underwriting, claims handling, risk mitigation, diversification of the insurance portfolio, concentration risk, all of those core principles that, that are, you know, that are important to have a long-term sustainable business that, that frankly, the industry has been doing for hundreds of years. That's important too. So to us at Hippo, it's truly a marriage between traditional insurance competency and technological advancements. Now, can, you, can you give us like an example of some of those technological advancements that uh, maybe your average homeowner might be able to take advantage of? Yeah, so a um, couple things. So um, let, let's start from the beginning. So you decide you need homeowner's insurance. And, and oh, by the way, at HIPAA, we don't think people actually buy homeowner's insurance. 
we think people buy homes and when you buy a home, you have a mortgage and a requirement of that mortgage is homeowner's insurance. We really recognize that all they want to do is get into that new house of theirs. They're super excited about doing that. But at some point along the process, either the, um, the uh, mortgage company or the title company or escrow company, somebody says you have to have hazard insurance before we'll close this loan. So at that point, they start scrambling. So the traditional way of doing this is they would call an agent. The agent would ask them 70 questions, many of which they had absolutely no idea how to answer. You know, how old is the roof? I don't know. I'm buying the house. I don't know when they replace the roof. Are you from a fire hydrant? What's the inner wall material? Is there crown molding throughout? All of these kinds of questions, most customers have absolutely no idea how to answer, yet the answers are a requirement. So two things happen. A lot of friction is created. The customer is trying to figure out answers to questions they don't know, and the answers they give are wrong. So it impacts the pricing and risk selection from the insurance company side. So technology advancement take those 70 question sets, reduce it to like a dozen of things that you know how to answer, and then use public rec records, public data, things like aerial imagery to answer all the other traditional questions that need to be asked, like what's the roof condition? What's the roof material? So we get um, real-time aerial imagery um, from um, for all the quotes that we provide, and it gives us those kinds of answers. So we don't even have to ask the question to the customer. So it makes it easier and it provides better data. So, so that's one example. Then as you go throughout, so once in the traditional world, once you bought the policy, then nothing would happen for like seven years. You wouldn't even hear from your insurance company. You might get a calendar in the mail, you know, that type of thing, but really nothing would happen until you have a claim. And that claims experience traditionally has not been great. Um, in fact, you kind of knew it wasn't going to be great when you bought the policy because you've heard all these stories about how the claims experience is not great. What InsureTech tries to do is tries to, throughout the life of that policy, continually um, keep in contact with the customer, continually upgrade the coverages, upgrade the need. Um, and also at HIPAA, we try to reduce the claims or mitigate the claims entirely. So we provide our customers who subscribe to what we call our smart home program, IoT devices, smart water shutoff valves, smart leak detectors, smart smoke detectors, sometimes monitored, sometimes not, depending on what the customer wants to do. All of these help us avoid the claim. So, you know, remember, you can have a great claims experience, and at HIPAA we do. Our net promoter score is pushing 80 every month. But what's the best claims experience? Avoiding the claim entirely. And technology helps you avoid the claim entirely. So it's all of these different components that really enhance the offering to the customer, makes it easier, but also reduces the underwriting exposure, which allows insurance companies to charge less and have a better experience. Now, do you ever experience any pushback from customers about having the technology in their home? Like I know for one, my house has, you know, we have nests all over the place. We have Googles, you know, it's very hooked up, but some people might be hesitant to, you know, ha have that extra piece in their house, in their home. Yeah, it, it is absolutely voluntary. Hippo has a program that's not a smart home program that's a bit more traditional for those customers that either they, they don't want to have access, they're a little nervous that Big Brother is watching them. Yeah. Uh, maybe they live in an area where you, for smart home package, you have to have um, high-speed Wi-Fi. 
because of the, the different data sources. It pings your cell phone if it detects a leak, all these kinds of things. Um, so those customers certainly don't have to participate. Now, at Hippo, close to 80% of our customers choose to participate because one, a good customer generally wants to protect the home. That's what this is all about. It's about home protection. It's not about home insurance. And also, if you install these various devices that we provide to the customer, you get a discount on your policy. And generally, people like to save money. Yeah. So do you see the, this movement to, to, with all the, the additions of technology kind of trying to be almost the end of the agency? Like the, the traditional insurance broker agencies may not be as necessary as you're able to set up, you know, homeowners insurance, car insurance or what have you fairly quickly on your own. Yeah, really, really good question. Now, at Hippo, about half our business comes from traditional agencies. So it's not all direct to consumer without the agent. And, and we actually believe the agents serve an important part for those customers that are uncomfortable making the decisions that they need to make to protect their home. Um, it, you know, car insurance is a little different. We, we've all kind of done it for a while. It's pretty right. self-explanatory, right? Uh, home insurance is not. It is more complex. You do want to make sure you have proper coverage. Let me give you an example of a couple things we've talked about. So we get a refreshed aerial image um, of your house, if you're a, a Kippo customer, about every three to four months. And we see things that change. So maybe when you took out the policy, you didn't have a pool. Um, but you decided to add a pool, Megan, like your, your neighbor's doing. Um, <laughs> right. and, and so we reach out to the customer and said, hey, looks like you got a pool. Can you confirm that? Um, and then we go through a discussion, a thoughtful discussion with the customer that, you know, maybe you should increase your liability limits because when you took out the policy, you had $100,000 worth of liability limits. Now you've got a pool and neighbor kids are going to come over and heaven forbid something happens to one of your neighbor kids. So it's a way for us to work with the customer to, uh, to enhance the, the offering, make sure that they've got ample coverage throughout. Uh, and this works both ways. Um, maybe when you took out the policy, you had a roof that was 20 years old. Roof age is generally a rating variable for insurance policies. Mm -hmm. Well, we get a new aerial image and we see that the roof was replaced and you never thought to call us. It wasn't a replaced because of a hail event or, you know, wind damage. It was just getting old and you needed to get it replaced. We reach out and says, hey, looks like you have a new roof. Have you? Yes. Great. You're entitled to a discount on your policy now because you have a new roof. So all of these enhancements help throughout the entire process. Now, a lot of this is centered on, you know, property claims, but are any of the technologies you have in place uh, focused on or touch on third-party claims? Like, say you notice through these satellite images, hey, it looks like, you know, you have a giant crack in your sidewalk, or it looks like your front steps are looking a little uneven, um, you know, the you know, Amazon delivery person, you know, could get hurt coming onto your property. Is that part of any of your packages or any of the, the tickers that you look at when you're updating the policies? We, we, we do. We, we look at anything that would impact um, 
any exposure in your house. So the fence that's leaning over, that's on a walkway, that type of thing. And we reach out proactively to the customer and say, hey, look, it looks like this is a problem. We don't, you don't want it to be a problem. You don't want to have a deductible if there's a claim. You don't want somebody to sue you. Let's work collaboratively to get it fixed. Now, these are, you know, these are the kinds of things that traditional insurance agencies have done for their customers. And going back to your previous question, you know, most homeowners insurance policies are still purchased through an agency. So we think the best way to do it, we, we think the agent does add value, certainly. Right. Um, but, but we think the best way to do it is ask the customer, how do you want to buy your homeowner's insurance? And how comfortable are you buying your homeowner's insurance? And we're relatively agnostic. We, we don't care. However the customer wants to interact with HIPAA, we'll support that. So if they want to go to an agency, great. And we partner with tons of independent insurance agents. We tar- partner with other insurance companies that maybe um, they can't offer a, p- a product of their own in a particular area, or maybe they have too much concentration risk. We work with home builders, with loan originators, with title companies, with realtors. Everybody, we've built customized technology to make sure that however that customer wants to buy the policy, we have a method to do it that's in a technologically sophisticated positive user experience. It's still, you know, homeowners insurance is about a hundred billion dollar market. $95 billion is still purchased through an agency. So we, we think it's a mistake for those insure techs that say, hey, I'm going to be direct, 100% direct to consumer. Fine, but you just narrowed your market, um, you know, to a fraction of what it could be if you embrace the thought that customers should tell us how they want to interact. Now, and you'd mentioned um, the consumer experience, and this is one thing that I, I've kind of noticed with the, the rise of the intertech companies. Everyone seems, all these companies seem more friendly, like as if they're, they're trying to change the look of insurance that insurance isn't, the consumer isn't looking to insurance as the big bad insurance company that just wants to take my money and make my life harder, but more so a, a friendly face that's going to help them along. Um, would you agree with that, that sentiment that that's kind of, that you're trying to change the the wave and how the, the perception of insurance and in, in you know are, that people may have. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, I would argue that people within insurance companies have generally tried to help customers. You know, you look at some of the big incumbent insurance, like a good neighbor. You know, in good hands, those types. I think the people within the insurance companies have generally wanted to help customers. Now, there is that inherent friction between helping customers but not overpaying claims. And that's a balance. I think the insurance industry generally has done a very poor job of articulating sort of that balance between, we wanna make sure you're well taken care of, but we nor you want us to overpay a claim for somebody committing fraud because all that's going to do is raise the rates for everybody else. So I think what's happening, and I think InsureTech is driving a lot of this, is the thought process that customer expectations aren't you know, what the incumbent insurance company has been doing. It's what Amazon's doing. And you know, people want easy. They want simplicity. They, they want to feel like the company that they are buying their insurance from shares their same social values and same social consciousness and all those different kinds of things. So I think the messaging is getting a lot better, but I do think generally insurance companies, good insurance companies have always tried to take care of the customers. They just didn't articulate it very well. So uh, I think the optics are changing and, and we're proud to be a part of it. We, we bonus our um, salespeople, not on sales, but on net promoter score. 
So did they have, did the customer have a good experience? It's perfectly fine. Um, if, you know, we, at HIPAA, we're a tech company. Um, and, and so, you know, we have an open floor. There are no private offices in, in either of our large facilities. Um, everybody sits on the floor. And, and when I'm sitting in my desk, of course, pre-COVID, um, and, I hear, and I hear one of our salespeople on the phone, and I do dozens of times a day, if that salesperson says, hey, look, um, I think you should stay with State Farm because you have the auto, you have the home, you have the umbrella, you've got a long-term discount, they've taken care of you, you know, you're in a wildfire area and State Farm hasn't non-renewed you, I, I think it probably makes sense for you to stay there. That's a perfectly acceptable answer to me. Right. I'd much rather the customer be well taken care of than us write one more policy. Yeah. And I think that's, that's great, though, and that speaks uh, volumes to, you know, the company culture um, and, and, you know, everything that you've been saying today. Um, but, it, I mean, do you see, though, with, you know, the change with the added technologies that, you know, Hippo is able to offer and other insurtech companies are able to offer that, you know, you're going to eventually, you're going to gain an advantage over these traditional insurance companies. I'm not going to name any names, but they, who aren't using any of these added technologies that actually assist in serving your customers. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I don't think it's that they don't want to use the technology. I think um, they're all captains of the Titanic and it takes forever to move the ship around the iceberg. They see the iceberg. The iceberg is modern technology, it's insure tech. They see it and they want to move the ship around it. It just takes forever to move that big ship around it. You've got legacy rate filings with regulators. You have legacy customers. Let me give you an example. Let, you know, one of the things that we do is we give customers an IoT kit. We mentioned, talked about this before, our smart home program. Um, we went through and did the hard work of working with the regulators to convince them that this is not inducement. We are not giving something to somebody to um, purchase a policy. What we're doing is we're partnering with the customer, providing a risk mitigation device, things that have been, you know, risk mitigation has been around forever. And this helps the customer more than it helps the company. It helps them avoid the claim, not have the deductible, lower their pricing. So we did all the hard work to do it. A couple things that most of the regulators told us. First, you can't be unfairly discriminatory. If you're going to offer it to one, you need to offer it to them all. Well, when you're a startup, it's pretty easy. You can build this cost of these devices into the economic of your, of your business. With, when you're an incumbent insurance company and maybe you have 10 million customers, it's really hard and really expensive to build all of that technology, uh, get those devices out. The second thing is, you know, in theory, it's a risk mitigation device. So you should, if the customer uses it, it should reduce claims, thus reduce um, price. So at HIPAA, we give a discount if you install the, um, the, the smart home device. So let's say, and the discount varies by state and type of device, but let's just keep the math easy. Let's say it's a, you know, it's a 5% discount. If you have 10 million customers and you've given 80% of them this device and you give them all a 5% discount, that's incredibly expensive for these large organizations right. that are built not on smooth, slick, efficient technology. They're built on more traditional, a lot of manual labor, lots of people do. So it's just really, really hard for them to do it. And then they're all saddled with old legacy tech stacks. 
you know, some, I know major insurance companies that still use Cobalt as their programming language. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of our younger people on the phone have, have no idea what Cobalt is, right? It, you know, it's, um, it, it's take for them to try to change and plug in new technologies takes 12 to 18 to 24 months. By the time they do it, there's two other generations of new technology that have happened in the meantime. Whereas an insure tech like Hippo, we can plug a new technology um, component in in, in in a day or two. So it, it's just very difficult for them to, to do it. Yeah, I mean, you're already equipped. It's, you already have all the, the you know, the, the, the line, everything's in place and you already have a staff too that is, you know, technologically savvy. Not to say the other insurance companies don't have that, but you're kind of a few steps ahead. It's, as, easy, it's yeah. easier building the future when you're starting from scratch. It really <laughs> And anything that you do, it, developing something on a whiteboard is a lot easier than changing something that's already, than, than refitting the Titanic when it's at sea. It's, it's really hard. It's really hard to do. And I, and I think the executives of these insurance companies, they want to do it. It's just hard to do. Yeah. And I, I, I love, I, let's go ahead to Oliver. I, I have a couple of questions about, about some of these technologies that you have. How does that specifically, if you can, how can that help you to, to, to prevent uh, overpaying on claims? You mentioned that uh, a few minutes ago. And um, I'm just wondering if you, if you have any, without divulging any, you know, deep secrets here, how, how that works. Is this a, a case, you know, I had a small fire and there was smoke damage in my house. And by the way, I forgot to tell you, I had, I had 35 Armani suits in there. And, um, <laughs> They all got get a uh, smoke damage, and you know they're gone. Uh, no, I don't. I don't have receipts. Um, so there are some components that technology will still struggle to help with. Now, there's more data available, right? So there are data sources that can, and some AI and our claims handling that can um, flag certain risks. Your example there is one that would probably go to a special investigative unit anyway at any insurance company, and they would, you know, drill down and try to figure it out. It's not the, the pure fraud that um, that I think technology helps. Fraud is fraud and people will find workarounds for that and, and some will get away with it and some will get arrested, right? That, that's gonna happen. It's the embellishment claim um, that is the one that technology helps. So let me give you an example. And this isn't even embellishment by the customer, this is embellishment by the, by the contractor. So you're sitting in, in North Texas and a hail storm hits. Um, and what's gonna happen, if you don't do anything, in about two to three weeks, somebody's going to come knock at your door mm -hmm. and they're going to have a pickup truck with a, a one of those magnets on it that says Bob's roofing. And Bob is going to say, hey, you had hail here. All your neighbors had hail here. Um, have you filed a claim? And you're going to go, no, I didn't realize that I, that I did. I didn't think it was that bad. It didn't seem. I looked around, but nothing was really damaged. And I, I think I'm fine. He goes, look, I'll go up and take a look at it no cost to you. And if there is, a, if you do have damage, I'm going to go ahead and, and work this out with the insurance company. You won't have to do anything. Oh, by the way, I'll go ahead and cover your deductible, which is illegal by the way. But, but, but Bob will say that. So Bob will get on the roof and he'll look and eh, there's probably $10,000 worth of damage. Well, Bob will come down and go, you know, there's $25,000 worth of damage on this roof. 
um, I'm going to go ahead and get that fixed for you. You don't want to try to sell your house with this. Oh my goodness. You're going to try to sell your house and they're going to have to reduce the price by $25,000. It's horrible. So that's the story that Bob will tell you. And you as a customer, you go, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, go ahead and get it fixed, right? So um, it's not that the customer is doing anything wrong. It's that Bob is, is a crook. So let me tell you what technology can help with that. The second a hell event happens, uh, we know how big the event was. This is all technology driven. We know how big the event was, where it was. We plot over all of our customers and we make an automatic outreach to the customer that says you had two inch hail in your neighborhood. We are going to send someone out to look at it tomorrow. Um, you know, is this time good? It, it, most customers are like, oh yeah, come out and look at my... So we get on the roof and go, yeah, $10,000 worth of damage, your deductibles, you know, whatever, $2,500, whatever it is. Um, we can go ahead and get this thing started and then fix next week. Um, is that good for you? Okay. By the time Bob comes, we've paid $10,000 on the claim and the, the roof is being repaired. So that's a way to make sure you're not overpaying claims in that example through the use of real-time technology. Yeah. And, you know, it's that example. It's funny because that I live in South Jersey and a few years ago, there were those roofers that would go around and they would actually create the hail damage on your home <laughs> and yeah, show you no, pictures. There, there are those two. Um, <laughs> I make glasses half full kind of guy. So I'm going to say that there was actually damage. But yeah, there, there are those as well. I remember they came to my house and I was like, I've heard about them. Don't let them in. Yeah, <laughs> they're not, no, they're not it, looking at our house. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's prevalent. It really, it really is. Um, and it's, it's anything interior water. It's mm -hmm. like, ah, here, here, here's the water we can repair and fix this area. It'll be good. But you know, I can give you, you you've got this kind of old crappy hardwood. I, I can say the claim was bigger and I can get all new hardwood throughout your house. It's those kinds of things that, you know, people generally, um, they feel like they pay into insurance companies and they rarely have claims. And it's not, you know, it's not that they're trying to do something wrong. It's just people, uh, there are a certain subset of people that, that just think that I've been paying, you know, a thousand bucks a year for the last 25 years and I've never had a claim. You know, what they what they failed to realize or miss is that you may never have had a claim, but if your house burned down and it was a million dollar claim, we would have paid that for the twenty five thousand dollars worth of premium that you paid over the last twenty five. So people it's it, people don't think about that sometimes. Um, and so where we can try to be Johnny on the spot and do the proper repairs, um, it, it helps everybody. Yeah. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit because after doing a little digging on you, I, I found that this is, this is not your first startup. It was not your first rodeo. Uh, <laughs> so I, and I'm, I have a lot of questions actually, but I mean, how, how does one get started in the, get into the, the startup, like just startups? How, how does it, how did you even get there? Yeah, it's, so it's, it's interesting. Um, so after graduating from college, I went to work at Mercury Insurance Company, a very good auto insurance company on the West Coast. Um, and I, I sort of started in the underwriting side of the business, shifted into the marketing side of the business as a territory manager, and then shifted into operations. Um, 
throughout that time at Mercury, I was always trying to find new ways of doing things. It's kind of that entrepreneurial spirit or entrepreneurial bug that some people have and some people don't have. Now, generally speaking, that which makes a good um, insurance company executive isn't always the entrepreneurial spirit or bug. There is a certain amount of conservatism that's really, really important. Um, to be done in, uh, you know, within the insurance space. So um, finding somebody that has that entrepreneurial spirit within the insurance industry is not super common. But those people generally get frustrated over time of the slow moving nature of the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they look for other types of things. And um, that's sort of what happened to me. I got to a point, I was very fortunate um, had great leadership at, at Mercury and, and was elevated um, to corporate officer at a, at a relatively young age. And I, I looked back and started thinking, do I really want to do this for the next 30 years? Pretty much do the same job for 30 years. And I thought, that's kind of boring. Um, so an opportunity presented itself to go do something more entrepreneurial. Um, the first opportunity was actually a turnaround organization that, that um, the, uh, the company that had bought it needed an insurance-minded um, CEO, so they hired me for that role. Um, and so that was the first kind of leap from the, the friendly confines of big giant insurance company with lots of stability and lots of cash compensation to the shift um, into something with a lot less cash compensation, but equity upside. And then if you have some successes doing that, you realize that the cash compensation isn't really all that important. It's that are your efforts directly going to contribute to the value of the company? And if they do directly contribute to the value of the company, can you participate in the value that you create? And that's where people like me get excited about opportunities um, at companies like First Connect, which was my previous company, or Hippo, which is where I am now. It's the it's the excitement of saying, I can contribute to something new and modern, create value, and participate in that value. Um, it, it, which is also why a lot of incumbent insurance folks don't really make that jump, because your cash compensation drops to a fraction of what it was at the, you know, at the insurance company level, it's all, you know, equity upside. And, and when you're a relatively conservative person, making that jump into a risky business at less compensation is just not something that people do. Right. Risky business, but with potential huge rewards. I mean, when you, when you have the equity portion, you know, that, that startup soars and sells, you, I mean, not only do you have the added experience, but you, you had a piece of that, that company and you're in a much better position than you were when you started. But it, sure, it's not for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is, and it's easy when you look at a company like Hippo that's been very, very successful. Um, they go, well, of course that's a trade-off that everybody would do. <laughs> the, what you don't see is the 50 other insure techs that you know, never got off the ground and you work your ass off for two years. <laughs> And you make, you know, you make the same amount of money that you made when you were 26 years old. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the trade-off. So picking the right opportunities at the right time is important because like we have people joining Hippo now and they're still in every employee of Hippo. Everyone has um, options in the company. Everybody has an equity upside. Um, and, and those that started early on. Um, had more equity upside because the strike price of the options was really low and you got more options. Those that join now, it's far less risky 
um, because you know we we are we are doing well. With the the risk of execution is is all but gone, um, but there's still some equity upside. So there's that pendulum of what your risk tolerance is for for when you join. And I can tell you, I very much enjoy um, something else that you mentioned the 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 learnings that you get in a startup or an early stage company. All the different hats that you wear truly develops you as a person um, and, and and within business. So um, the things that some of our folks do now, if they worked in a traditional incumbent insurance company, they never would have done. You know, they'd pick a silo, underwriting claims, marketing, whatever it might be, and they would focus on that um, their entire career. They're, the cross-polarization of ideas um, are are tremendous um, in, a, in a company that um, that's a startup where you have to wear lots of hats. Right. And isn't it true? Like it, you, from each startup or each experience that you've gone through, you gain all this, this knowledge that you can then move forward and apply to, to the next, the next venture. Um, and you know, and being more hands-on, you're able to appreciate like all aspects of the business to help it grow. Yeah, totally agree. It's the, the first time I was a CEO, uh, was a turnaround company. And the um, chairman of the board, who was also the managing director of the VC firm that owned the company, um, said something to me. And, and I thought at the time it didn't resonate, but you know, 15 years later it does. And he said, Rick, you're, you're the youngest executive, the youngest CEO I will ever hire. You, you don't have a lot of gray hairs. Um, how do I know that you're not gonna learn on my dime and take those learnings to your next endeavor? And I had, I'm sure, some very clever answer. I, I, <laughs> but the truth is, wisdom and intelligence are two very different things. And intelligence only comes from experiences. And you do absolutely take the experiences from every role and shift it to the next role so you don't make the same mistakes over again. And that's the thing at Hippo, and I'm sure other insurtechs are like this, it, it's the, the amount of what I call A plus talent at the company is extreme. And, you know, when you work at a large insurance company, um, most people are relatively average, right? Most people are kind of C, C plus talent. You do have exceptions within every company. But on a daily basis, you're not having to bring your A game every single day at every single conversation and every single meeting, because if you are, you know, um, a, a, an A or B player, you, you can kind of coast a little bit and still be an A or B player, uh, but not when your every meeting is with A plus players. So the, the elevation of my personal game uh, at working and surrounding myself with A plus players has forced me to um, hone my experience, uh, learn more, contribute more, which which is just um, invigorating. Yeah, and I'm sure Oliver could probably chime in on this. I don't think it's that, it's not that much different as like a practicing attorney when you're facing um, a A-game attorney who really knows their stuff, it really pushes you to be better. And it can be frustrating, but it can, it just, it makes you be on your toes and you don't, you, you're, you're, there's more pressure each day. I know Oliver has to deal with this a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you, sometimes you hear someone say something and you're like, uh, I disagree. And if it's a, a C or a D or even an F player, you're like, <laughs> you're like, it's, they probably just made a giant mistake. When it's an A player, you're, you're starting to say, 
is it me who made the mistake? <laughs> you know, did I miss something? Uh, and more often than not, uh, that it, you know, when you're going against people who are super smart, it, it is you who made the mistake. Not always, but you, you got to dig and look uh, and be sure that you're right if you're going to take a strong position. Yeah. And have that self-awareness, right? To, to go, I don't know everything all the time. I, I'm getting, you know, there are people that know a lot more than I do. And we, we have that culture at Hippo. I try to hire people that have, uh, that have functional expertise greater than I am. I, I'm a good generalist. You know, I know, I know how to manage underwriting organizations and claims organizations and actuarial organizations, all of those. But am I the best underwriter in the world? Absolutely not. Not even close. Claims, no way. But I try to hire people that are A plus in their areas of expertise because I'm self-aware to know being a good generalist gives you a broad strategic mindset, um, but it doesn't make you the world's best claims adjuster. And so I think that self-awareness is, is, is really important. And, and, and I think what's happening too is InsureTechs as a percentage of the employee base just has so many super strong players that it does give them a competitive advantage. Um, we were, we, we were in a negotiation a, a few weeks ago and our general counsel at, um, at Hippo is exceptional, absolutely exceptional. Lots of years of private practice, lots of years as GC with, you know, a reinsurance company, super great. And, and the particular negotiation was against a law firm that was um, uh, well-known. And um, I left that meeting and with just this big smile on my face and, and Tracy, our, our GC was like, well, why, why are you so happy? And, and my response was because my attorney is better than their attorney. <laughs> uh, it just seeing the talent that a smaller organization can bring to bear because of the excitement of what Hippo's doing. You look at our CFO, our CEO, our chief product officer, our CTO, everybody, every one of these people, could, could be um, at a much larger organization um, making more money, but they've all decided to come together and build something special and, and truly make Hippo a unicorn, not just from a valuation perspective, but in every sense of the word. And that's what gives us the excitement of doing this. I've been doing this almost, almost four years now at Hippo and my level of excitement and passion grows. It's, it's hard work, right? But it doesn't feel like work. I don't sleep much. I, you know, I'm spending a lot of time doing things every single day, um, but it never feels like work because it's, it's exciting and you feel like you're contributing to something different. Yeah. And so what would you say to the, the young entrepreneur that, you know, has an idea and is super excited about something, you know, what, what's the advice you give them to get, get started on that idea? Cause it's gotta be ominous at the beginning. Yeah, it, it is. And, and those young entrepreneurs are about to call me boomer. And I'm not a boomer, by the way, I'm a director. <laughs> but um, I, I do think um, your idea can generally wait a year or two, get some experience working with a, a, a different startup that you're not making all the calls because you will make some mistakes in the short run. Now, if you've already done that, right, and you now you have your idea, go for it, try it do what you can, but ideas don't transition into raising money. And at the end of the day, if you can't raise money and you try to bootstrap it, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do, you're going to make decisions that preserve cash or the fact that you're probably not going to get a paycheck for two years while, right. while you do. It's those kinds of things 
that um, that are really really hard. So um, you know, learn from people that have done it. I'm not saying spend you know ten years somewhere, but make sure you've got a couple years of good operational understanding of what makes a startup tick. Be involved in those decision making between venture and business, because the successful ventures are ones that think of themselves as a business. Ventures come and go, and you make decisions that aren't necessarily in the best interest of the long term of either your investors or the customer or what have you. Um, it, you know, think about, about it as a business. How can I create something that will stand the test of time? Those are the ones that are that are successful. And would you say one of the biggest challenges that a new startup faces is is it funding? Is it you know talent? Is it the the all of the above that not having a good sense of the business like what are the challenges that you think you say yeah it, it is all of the above <laughs> it, and that's why the experience is important a lot of younger people think i've got a great idea fine try to sell it right try to raise money for it try to oper operationalize it there's these components that are really hard and be self-aware enough to know that you can't do everything you have to find partners that will come in um, our CEO, Asafwan at Hippo, is exceptional, and, and I've worked with lots of CEOs in over the last 30 years. He's one of the few people that I've ever worked with uh, as a, at a CEO, CEO level that, that I think has successfully transitioned from entrepreneurial startup CEO to high growth CEO to sort of, you know, a, like mid-sized company CEO. Hippo now, we've only been writing business for, you know, about three and a half years. We're already significant in size. I used to think that CEOs could not make that transition, right? An entrepreneurial startup CEO cannot transition into a public company CEO. He, he's the exception of that. And what makes him so exceptional, exceptional and if anybody's listening to this and, <laughs> and knows Asaf, um, it's not that Asaf is, you know, is, um, is timid in his thoughts. Uh, he has strong opinions. He's aggressive. He's constantly moving the ball forward. He, he, you know, he, he's an aggressive Israeli guy that has a lot of passion. <laughs> But he's also very self-aware and he knows what he knows and knows what he doesn't know. And he hires people that know more than him on certain aspects of the business. So when I took the job at Hippo, I wasn't looking for a job. I had my own um, auto insurance MGA in Texas that was going quite well. And the reason Asaf and I met is my reinsurance broker said, you need to meet this guy that's getting ready to start a homeowner's insurance company. And I went, cool, I do car insurance. He's going to do homeowner's insurance. What a perfect strategic partnership. So I flew out to Mountain View, California with that in mind. And I spent the day with Asaf. And when I was heading back to the airport, he called me and said, Rick, I know you've got your own thing going, but I need a partner on the insurance side. Would you ever consider joining Hippo? Um, and and, and I, I said, yes, on the spot. Um, so I went with a business development partnership in mind and I left with a job and I'm still not totally sure how that happened. But um, but he recognized different people have different skill sets. His ability to raise money, strategic thinking, constantly driving things forward, I've never seen anything like it. So then he's got those of us that have functional expertise and experience that are handling the functional aspects of the business that allow him to do the things he does well. And, and that's super important for any young startup. You can't be jack of all trades. You know, you, you've got to have expertise with it. 
Yeah, and that and that's great. I mean, I think that speaks volumes to the company. And you, I think you need in order to be able to be on the forefront, you need someone in the front who is willing to push push the boundaries, but also know where the weaknesses are. And I mean, it, that just speaks to volumes to the company as a whole. I have one final question that has nothing to do with Hippo, <laughs> but you're so busy and you have so many moving parts. You uh, just said that you you don't even sleep that much. Do you do anything for yourself for fun, like? What does Rick do on the weekends? <laughs> I, I, I do. Um, but, you know, the great thing about being an entrepreneur is you get to work whenever you want. You just better want to work all the time. So you don't really have, I think we're all kind of in this groundhog day because of COVID, but that's what an entrepreneurial is. It, you, Saturday is the same as Tuesday. You just do what needs to be done. But you do need to take care of yourself from a health perspective. I get out and walk. I get out in the mountains. I just came back from the Tetons and Yellowstone you know, these kinds of things to, um, to sort of clear that clear your head a little bit, and you need to find time to do that. And now, as an entrepreneur, I've got to go places where there's no Wi Fi and no cell phone signal to do that. Um, But I enjoy doing that as as it is. So you've got to stay in in decent physical health, because you won't sleep much, and you'll have lots of stress. um, And you can't also have poor physical health. Yeah, I, I, I hear that, especially during all this, the COVID stuff it has been more important than ever to <laughs> to get moving um even because as i find myself sleeping less and less each day as i was juggling you know working and keeping my kids on homeschooling <laughs> and it's not ending anytime soon <laughs> no it's it is a it is a new as a new reality problem yes well I appreciate you so much coming on. I've, I've, I really think this was a great conversation. I loved hearing about Hippo and all the innovations you have, um, you have done in the insurance industry. Um, and it's just been a pleasure talking to you today. And thanks for taking the time out of your, your schedule to talk to us. Absolutely. Enjoy the conversation. Let, let us know how we can ever help. Thanks. Thanks, Rick. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.